Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. On to John chapter 1. I want to look today at, at uh, a, a, the last verse, really, what, what Jesus said to Nathaniel. Uh, if you recall, we're at the Jordan River, hundreds, probably thousands. I mean, when, when, when we're, we have the record of it, it's uh, all Jer- Judea, all Jerusalem went out to see John the Baptist. So it's just large numbers. This is a real event. They're camping there at the river. And Jesus has come and been baptized himself by John. And during that occasion, you recall, the heavens opened. The voice of God, the Father said, my beloved son. And the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus and rested on him like a dove and remained on him. That was John's sign. He was waiting to see. He knew God told him, I'll show you the Messiah. The Spirit will come on him and remain. He saw that. And then Jesus went out for 40 days into the wilderness. We're the end of the Jordan River. That is the Judean wilderness. That's where Jesus was. So he wandered in the Judean wilderness uh, for 40 days. You remember he fasted. Uh, he's, he's, he's praying. And he's also being tempted of the devil. Very severe temptations are going on. When he was done with that, he came back. It is quite apparent. He came back to that place there with everyone gathered. Uh, Where else would he go? It's 17 miles up to Jerusalem, and he's fasted for 40 days. He comes back to, to, uh, to, to to the riverbank. When John sees him coming, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Two, two disciples in particular are standing there beside him when he says this, and it's John and Andrew. Uh, they're there, they hear this, and the next day he sees Jesus going by again, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. On the second time, those guys got it, and they, they just basically turned and followed Jesus. If he's the Messiah, we're going with him. And they walk behind him. It's a bit, bit comical in a sense. He's walking, and then at some point he notices they're there and says, what do you want? And they said, well, where are you staying? I mean, can we make an appointment with you? And he said, well, come on now. And then they talked together that day. I think it was the Sabbath. It was a Sabbath day. And they, they sat and talked about the things of God, and he, he told them who he was. In the course of it, Andrew goes and he gets his brother. Who's his brother's name? Simon Peter. Now, this is Peter, is, is Andrew's brother. James is John's brother. James, John doesn't tell us, but I think he went and got his brother as well. But he goes and gets Peter and brings him back. That's when he says, uh, you are Cephas, you are a rock. And we talked about that. The next day, it says, Jesus decided it was time to go back up to the Galilee. But before they went, they, there was some people still to reach. And so he personally went after Philip. And he got Philip, and then Philip went and got a man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel was from uh, the town of Cana, which is about three and a half miles. They were just villages next to Nazareth. We, when we go to Israel, uh, we drive through Cana on the way to Nazareth. I mean, it's, it's just right there. Um, anyway, we, so he's, he's in a neighboring village. And so Philip says, come and see, we found the Messiah. 
him of whom, uh, and, and he is, he is uh, the son of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And uh, Nathaniel, who knows Nazareth well, and it's a, a tough, mean-spirited village, says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he's right. No, nothing really could. Uh, but indeed, it did. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and so he, and Philip's answer is, I can't defend uh, Nazareth, but come and see. Come and see. As, as, as Nathaniel is coming toward Jesus, remember what he said. Jesus looked up and said, behold, a man in whom there is no deceit. There is no deception. He's, he's forthright. He's open. He's an honest man. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, I saw you beneath the fig tree. Now, he undoubtedly was having some sort of spiritual time, prayer, conversation, reading scripture, something important was going on. And Nathaniel is stunned by that remark because no, whatever the circumstances were, no one could have seen. And so he knows that this man has information only God could know. His response is instantaneous. You can see the good heart of this man. If he sees the truth, he's moving toward it. Uh, no, no compromise, no hesitation. Okay, you're it. And he says, he says uh, you are the son of God, Rabbi. Uh, you are the king of Israel. <laughs> you can just see Jesus' smile kind of come along like, wow, it didn't take much to get you. Uh, you know. And then he says, because I told you I saw you beneath a fig tree, do you believe? He said... Uh, the day will come, and here's what he says. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 50, 50, 50 and 51. Because I said to you, I saw you underneath a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, and you read it out loud with me, would you? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I'll read it once more by myself. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending, say ascending, ascending. and descending, say descending, descending, on the Son of Man, say Son of Man. Father God, would you open the word to us and our hearts to the word. We would hear with faith, we would be discipled, we would be strengthened. Lord, come and open your word, and I pray for the grace to let you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. After recognizing that Jesus knew things about him that only God could know, Nathanael immediately told him that he was the promised Messiah. He said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. To which Jesus replied with a statement that must have stunned Nathanael. Basically, he told him, because you believe in me, Someday you'll, you will rise from the dead and return to earth with me to set up the kingdom of God. By combining Jacob's vision of a ladder lifted up to heaven with Daniel's vision of a heavenly son of man, Jesus showed him a picture of the end of the age. Why would he do that? Particularly with someone he just met. He skipped over at least 2,000 years of history and took him straight to a vision of the last days. Why? Isn't that a mysterious season where wise to admit we don't understand and ignore because God is in control? 
And what we believe won't change his plans anyway. Let me, let me stop right there. That's the way a lot of people think. A lot of pastors think about end time stuff. And I know, believe me, I know the flaky stuff that's out there. At least some of it. You guys find stuff I didn't know existed. But <laughs> I am aware. I am aware that there's all kinds of, of sort of silly sensational stuff. I get that. I get that. But let me tell you something, the, the, the reaction that says, and so it isn't important, the best thing, the wisest thing I could do is just put this last day's talk on the shelf and, and just trust that somehow God's in charge, you know, and, 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 and mind my own business. The Bible, Jesus right here, is showing us something important. The last day's issues, understanding the coming of the Lord, having those things deep in our heart, they're called hope in the New Testament. This is the blessed hope. Having that hope burning in us does matter. It matters hugely. In fact, we can't really walk our faith without it. Amen. Our, four squares, our four squares of our four square church, he's the savior, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, he's the healer, and what is he? He's the coming king. Yeah, the soon coming king. There's that expectation in us. That is not silliness. It is very, very important. I've had, I've had people say, well, I don't know, is it, is it post-trib or is it uh, pre-trib? Uh, you know, I think it's pan-trib. It'll all pan out in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. But there's a bit of passivity in it that says, I'm not going there. I'm just not going there. Uh, I, I taught a, a seminar for a denomination a number of years ago on, on, on eschatology, the things of the last things. And I was surprised at how many pastors really do not have a clue what to do with this. Uh, I would have been one of them. And, 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 I, and I say, get into the word. You have to get into that and, and understand these things. Jesus, I'm going to show you now. I'll explain to you the things I've just told you. I'm not going to leave you hanging. But Jesus says to this brand new, I mean, brand new, we're talking seconds old, uh, Nathaniel. He's just said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He believes. Jesus says, you believe? I'm going to show you. The day will come. You're going to be part of the resurrection. That's what that's about. And I'll show you that. Day will come when you're going to be resurrected and come back to earth with me. He's talking rapture stuff. Come back to earth with me and rule and reign. Why does he tell him the very first thing about the very last things? Jesus didn't say such things accidentally. He didn't make wild statements in order to be shocking or sensational. Yet he would speak the truth, the whole truth, at moments when no one expected it, with the result that there were times when people were left speechless. This was one of those moments. Nathaniel's mouth must have dropped open. He probably stood there staring, trying to comprehend what he just heard. Did Jesus just say he's the ladder? You all remember the, the account of Jacob's ladder? I'm going to take you there in a minute. Remember that wonderful, wonderful dream he had? He, 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 did he just say he's the ladder? Did, did he call himself the son of man? And was I just told that I will be there at the end of days... Watching God's kingdom being set up on earth. Why would a person who was beginning their discipleship need such information? Why do last things matter? The answer is quite simple. It's because knowing the end puts the present into perspective. I wrote that. Yeah. 
And that, that's, that's imp- do you, did you follow what I just, knowing the end puts the present into perspective. Uh, someone was talking to me this week, and I honestly, I don't remember which one of you it was, but you, we were talking about um, someone, the, the argument is being made today, you don't need God in the picture to have morality. Well, in some ways you don't. You can say, well, this is the set of rules we're going to adhere to. But the problem with human nature is such, if there's no accountability, and if there's no real standard, nobody sticks to it. Nobody stays there. And, that, and, and some atheistic philosopher actually spoke to that subject and said there must be, in terms of morality, what he called a transcendent horizon. In other words, at the point of death, what's beyond there? Is there something on the other side? Is there something bigger and more than just this thing we see? And if there's not, nobody's really going to, going to have, have, have a morality. It's all going to devolve into, into basically chaos. You follow that? Yeah. Is there a transcendent morality? Your belief in God, your fear of God, your anticipation that there is something beyond the grave makes all the difference in the world. How I live now is deeply rooted in do I think there's something after I die? Because if there's not, I mean, really, let's, I, this isn't silly. If there's not, th- then it doesn't matter what you do. If no one's made all of this, we are just an organism that accidentally occurred. We have no meaning. There's nothing to it. We're just biological accident. And when we die, we go and melt back into the dust, the stardust on this planet. And, that's, and then somewhere it all dies out like an old flame. That's the alternative. That's what they're trying to lure you into with a lot of sophisticated talk. You go there and you want to ultimately kill yourself. It's a hideous world to live in. It's an empty, lonely, purposeless world they're asking you to believe in. Excuse me, I said that with just a little more passion than I expected to come. Okay. Because knowing God puts the present pers- into perspective. See, you see that? Knowing God exists changes how I view myself. Knowing God is good changes how I view evil. Knowing who created me explains why I'm alive. Knowing God will raise the dead to life changes the way I view death. Knowing God will someday judge all humanity defines for me what's right and wrong. When we just, a few weeks ago, when the Supreme Court makes a decision and they say, well, we're going to say that, that this kind of behavior is now moral and right. And I, I simply ask the question, when you die, who do you think you're going to stand in front of? The U.S. Supreme Court or the God of the Bible? You make your decision. I think it's the God of the Bible, so I'm going to follow him. Is it really, notice this, transcendent horizon. Transcendent horizon. I think there's a God there. I think there's life after death. I think the things he says about evaluating my life will be, is true. Therefore, I have to live in light of that. I can't possibly give you my eternity in order to keep you happy politically. You follow that? It's not complicated. It is raw and it's deep, but it is not complicated. And knowing Jesus will someday destroy the forces of evil 
and set up his kingdom on earth allows me to cope with the evil I have to pass through on my way there. Every disciple needs to have last things deeply in their heart. When we went through the book of Acts, uh, we came to the city of Thessalonica. If you recall, Paul comes there. Now, we know that Paul was in Thessalonica, it's a city in northern Greece, for three weeks, apparently. Almost not possible any more than that. Just three weeks. I mean, this is cold turkey. There's, there's no believers, and then three weeks later, he leaves town on the run. And then you read 2 Thessalonians. And the first two chapters of Thessalonians, he talks about the coming of Jesus, who's going to judge the wicked. And then chapter two, he tells you how to watch for the Antichrist and what to look for and what will happen when the Antichrist comes. And then he says, you remember how I was telling you these things while I was there. So in three weeks of, 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 of bringing those first disciples to Christ, Paul's telling them how to, how to identify the Antichrist. That sounds like something I'd do. You know, Henry Kissinger. Oh, he's gone now. Anyway, my, when I was young, it was Henry Kissinger. Anyway, you took his name and you took the letters. Come on. And they added up to 666. Anyway, every generation has its own. Anyway, um, so, so, but he, here he is teaching on this. That said something important to me. If Paul the Apostle thinks that his brand new believers in Thessalonica need to know what to watch for, then we need to know what to watch for. And if Jesus is going to tell this brand new Nathaniel, the day will come, you're going to rise from the dead. We, we need to have this in our heart too. The term son of man does indeed mean a human child. But when Jesus called himself this, his Jewish listeners knew their Bible well enough to recognize that he was declaring himself to be a very special human child. Those verses I give you, those are talking about the son born to David. Uh, this day I've begotten thee. Psalm 2, that's fabulous stuff, uh, etc. And when he added to that title words like clouds, angels, and glory, they knew that he was pointing to a, a remarkable prophecy by Daniel, and that he was saying that he was that person. Why did he promise Nathaniel that he would see such a strange sight? One clue that might help us find the answer comes from the specific wording he chose. He used exactly the same words which Moses used to describe a vision the patriarch Jacob had, had in a place called Bethel. In that dream, Jacob saw a ladder placed on the earth which reached all the way up to heaven. And then he saw the angels of God going up and going down on that ladder. Do you recall that? Let's, let's go look there actually. Open to Genesis chapter 28. I want to remind you of what is a very important vision that Jacob had. Genesis 28, verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba. Now, when we go to Israel, the first town, city we go to is Beersheba. Uh, it's still there. The Teld is there. It's phenomenal. And, he, and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there. 
because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in the place. And he had a dream and behold, a ladder. See that? A ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending, literally going up and going down on it. Say going up and going down. That's significant, I believe. And I'll read one more verse. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord your God of your father Abraham and your, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, will, I will give it to you and to your descendants. That's the vision that's in there. So when Jesus says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, the day will come when you will see the angels, and he uses exactly the same word, order, ascending and descending. Upon, not Jacob's ladder, but he says, upon the Son of Man. I, he's saying, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. We're not told, but it's possible that, this, that it was this passage in Genesis that Nathaniel had been meditating upon in the shade of the fig tree. I'm, I'm inclined to think so. Not only does he say, I saw you under the fig tree, but I think he then takes the, the, the scripture he was, he, was, he was pondering and then enlightens him and says, that's me, you know, as well. It, it's all kind of remarkable. If, if so, Jesus' mention of the passage would have been further evidence of his miraculous knowledge about Nathaniel. It would mean he even knew the biblical passage the man had been reading. Another clue may, that may help us to understand Jesus' statement is his use of the title Son of Man. The term is used in two different ways. One was simply another way of saying a human being. The term Son of Man was a poetic way of saying a human child. Ezekiel uses it constantly, doesn't he? The Lord says, Son of Man, go down to the potter's house, etc. Son of Man, do this. Son of Man, and he just means man, human being. But in a vision God showed to the prophet Daniel, the term son of man took on a very special meaning. In that vision, Daniel saw the with the clouds of, of heaven, one like a son of man, who came up to the ancient of days and received from him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And Daniel was told that this son of man's kingdom would last forever. By saying that the person he saw in his vision looked like a son of man, Daniel was saying he looked like a human being. But by walking into the very throne room of heaven and receiving this kingdom directly from God the Father, this son of man also appears to have divine godlike qualities. And during the vision, Daniel was also told by a heavenly being that the saints of the highest one would participate with the Son of Man in governing this eternal kingdom. Turn with me to Daniel. Um, how do I help you? It's, it's just to the right of Ezekiel. Huh. And just to the left of Hosea. All right, Daniel 7. This is a, this is a tremendously important vision. Daniel is shown in a vision... Four different kingdoms. Four, and, he, and he's shown them in, the, in symbolic ways. They are beasts. And the first three, we, we know. Uh, the, it says, yeah, I'm, in, I'm in Daniel 7, verse 4 there, and I'm not going to go through this. And just, I'm skipping real fast. The first one is, is Babylon. The second one is, in verse 5 is, is Persia. And the third one is, in verse 6 is Greece. 
And then it says this, and after this, I kept looking in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. And it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This is the Antichrist's kingdom that has not come yet. What are the ten horns? Ten nations. A ten-nation confederacy. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one. What is that little horn? It's the Antichrist himself. Yeah, one of these kings will rise up, and he will actually conquer three kingdoms, some, some man will rise up, conquer three kingdoms, join them into one unit, and then the others will ally with him, align with him. And this horn possessed the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. In other words, defiance of God. And then this fabulous picture of the ancient of days, he takes his seat on his great throne and, 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 it's on, and just fire is flowing out from his throne and thousands and thousands are standing before him. It says the court sat and the books were open. This is the moment when God is saying, enough. I've had enough evil from planet earth. The things have grown to a point where I'm done with it. We're shutting the show down and I'm going to send my, my, my leader and my people to take over. All right. And then it says, uh, verse 13, let me skip down to that. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, see the term clouds? One like a son of man was coming and he came up to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? God the Father. So you, here's this vision of the throne room of God. Here's God the Father and his great throne. And someone who looks just like a human being walks into the throne room of heaven, walks up to the Father, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Hallelujah. I'm going to show you some more in a minute. Don't close it. So when Jesus says to Nathaniel, you'll see the angels rising and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel knew exactly what he was talking about. You're saying you're that guy. All right? Now, what Nathaniel, I mean Daniel has with him a heavenly watcher. Somebody's there. And he turns to this, uh, this person, some kind of angel, and says, explain to me, particularly the fourth beast. That was awful. What was I seeing? And it, and it goes on, it, tells that it talks about this ten horns and the whole thing. And then it says this, verse 21. And I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. This is Persecution horrible persecution against the, the, the followers of the living God until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. That's what we saw in that courtroom. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said the fourth beast, he'll devour the whole earth, tread it and crush it. As for the ten horns, these are ten kings. Everything's explained. The small horn, the antichrist, he'll subdue three. And he'll speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. I don't know what wear down the saints means. It's some sort of horrible persecution of just breaking and crushing all spiritual opposition against him. 
He'll wear down the saints. And he will intend to make alterations in times. In other words, he'll change the calendar. And in law, he will supplant the law's structures that have been with a new form of law. This is chilling, isn't it? I actually think that this process is underway now. This has to do not with Europe and all the kinds of things you've heard, but a lot of, lot of foolish interpretations. All of this is Israel-centered. It is the nations in the Middle East. It's around Israel. It has to do with Israel and those nations that have dominated it. And then look what happens. But the court will sit, verse 26... If this will happen, by the way, I didn't say this, for time, times, and half a time. That's generally assumed to be three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Court will sit for judgment, and his, his dominion, this Antichrist's dominion, will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. And then the sovereignty and dominion and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to who? Look at that carefully. Read it. The people of the saints of the highest one. No, I would have thought it said to, the, to, to this son of man. It says to his people. Who's that? Us. Raise your hand. You're in the book of Daniel. That's us. Yes. This, this is all totally consistent. The, the saints are the highest one, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him with us ruling. Look, I keep telling you this. What you're doing here on, in this lifetime is being prepared and trained for that. I mean, yes, we have ministry here, but the lessons you're learning, the character that's being formed. See, we often think, well, when I die, I'll be nice. <laughs> oh, no, you won't. Not even death can do that. No. (laughs) There is no magic wand. This isn't a game. God doesn't go doink and you suddenly go, I really get it now. I so see. He is having to refine your personality to make you like Christ. My personality to make me like Christ. When he's dealing with your temper, your impatience, your lack of faith, your lack of compassion... He's preparing you, not only for ministry here, yes, that, but you you haven't even started yet. This means something. It's not a game. You will be ruling and reigning and enforcing the righteousness of God on this planet. It's, I can't go on, but you will. You are in training. You are the saints of the highest one, and you will come with him and he set up his kingdom on this earth. All right? And all the dominions will serve and obey him. Hallelujah. And Daniel says, I was pale and my head had alarmed when I was done. I'll bet. If indeed Jesus meant to combine Jacob's dream with Daniel's vision into one, then he was using these two prophetic symbols to explain to Nathanael that the latter Jacob saw was an image representing the promised Messiah. Like a ladder, the Messiah would connect earth to heaven. And the angels whom Jacob saw going up and then down upon the Messiah would would be not only angelic beings, but also the saints of the highest one. He is showing him that moment we just read about. Using these powerful Old Testament visions, Jesus was explaining to Nathanael that someday he would not only see with his own eyes, but also participate 
in the resurrection of the dead and the triumphant return of Jesus to set up his kingdom on earth. Daniel's prophecy actually shows us at the very moment when God will take control of the earth. And it reveals that it will be a time of violent persecution of God's people. Daniel was told that a horrible man will oppress believers until God takes away his dominion and destroys it forever. And then he was told that a new eternal kingdom would be set up, which would be governed by the saints of the highest one. All of this would be done under the authority of someone who looks like a son of man. With that prophecy in mind, let's go back to the conversation between Jesus and Nathanael. Moments after they met, Jesus told him that the day would come when he would watch all this take place. Why does this matter? Why do you and I need to understand what Jesus said to Nathanael? The answer is because you and I are going to see the same thing. Listen. For just as lightning... Why don't you read this with me? Let's do it slowly, good and loud. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice who we're talking about. Who's this? The Son of Man. See it? Yeah. Okay, on. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Let me just stop there a second. That, you read all about that in the book of Revelation. It speaks of, of, of either asteroids or comets or something hitting the planet. And here it's in the picture of the stars being, sh uh, this power, the stars being shaken, all that. The, the earth is somehow going to be shifted in its orbit to some degree, or it's, 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 it's what do you recall that? Uh, it's going to be moved by, by all of this. It's describing that kind of chaos. And then the sign of, the, let's go back, you read with me. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. He comes, the trumpet, and, and notice something. All of these, these, re, these resurrected people first ascend, meet him in the air, and then descend come back with him to set up his kingdom. In the original Hebrew, the angels first go up and then they go down. It's that way in the Greek translation of the Hebrew and it's that order of events in Jesus' description as well. First up, then down. Now, in my mind, the normal direction for angels would be first down and then up. Pardon me for being simplistic. They would descend from heaven to earth and then ascend back into heaven. At least that's the way it's generally pictured in the Bible, but not here. So what kind of angels are these who start on the earth and rise up to heaven and then return to earth? I think the angels in this vision aren't all angels. I think there's angels with them, but not in the usual sense of the word. I think many of the glorious angels Jacob saw are the resurrected humans Rising to meet their Lord in the air. You understand you're going to shine like the sun. You know that? You're going to shine like the sun. The reason that the Bible talks of Jesus as being the morning star. 
is because when he comes, and he's going to come physically, he will come and he gets closer and closer, and that, that light, that pin, it'll be a pinpoint of light in the sky, and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger as he draws near. But you also are going to shine. You're going to be, it's, it, he, you have been, you are going to be, Paul, glorified. Not resurrected and full of glory. You are being, becoming children of God. Not divine, but you will share in all of the glory and privileges of Christ. You too will shine. Watch the, I, this beautiful picture of people rising. The, it, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. Somehow those he- spirits that have been with the Lord, conscious and awake and enjoying the Lord, will rise in their resurrected bodies. They go first. And then if you're still alive, and there'll be many believers still on the planet, those who are alive and remain, they will be resurrected on the spot. All of a sudden you feel really good. The, <laughs> the back doesn't hurt anymore at all. I think, whoa, come on. You know, and wow, you look good. And then up you go. That's it. See, it's the resurrection, rising to meet the Lord in the air and returning to earth to rule with him in his kingdom. Paul describes that moment this way. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet him in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Jesus said he would send his angels to gather believers from the four winds. This is the resurrection and the rapture. The dead rise first, and then those believers still living on the earth are transformed into their new bodies and rise to meet them, meet the returning Jesus in the air. In other words, the latter Jacob saw in his dream is Jesus. He's the one who will lift us up to heaven and then bring us back to earth. Jesus himself, you know our, our ultimate destination is in some place off in heaven. It's a renewed earth. You know that, right? Yes. Jesus himself is the resurrection. Like a ladder, he's going to lift us up. If we believe in him, he will raise us up on the last day, he says. Hallelujah. So in his very first meeting with Nathaniel, Jesus planted in this new disciple's heart a seed of hope. He told him that someday he would see with his own eyes the resurrection of the dead. The day would come when he would rise into the air to meet the Son of Man and then return with him to earth to set up God's eternal kingdom. What a promise. What a hope he gave Nathaniel from the very beginning. But why? The answer is simple. Because he would need it. The political climate would soon change. And their lives would be in danger because they had become Jesus' disciples. In fact, as the years went by, all but one would be martyred for their faith. And, the, and tradition says Nathaniel would be executed in Armenia for converting a king's brother to Christ. And I won't describe it, but it was terrible. And Jesus knew that, that the young man standing in front of him needed God's perspective. So do you and I. So do you and I. He needed to know the end of the story. 
He needed to know that Jesus would be victorious. No matter how difficult circumstances became, no matter how strong the evil in this world appeared to grow, no matter what Nathaniel might have to endure as a follower of Christ, he would always know this. A day will come when Jesus will resurrect him from the dead. He will be there among the saints of the highest one rising to meet the Son of Man in the air. Jesus makes this same promise to us. If we truly believe in him, the day will come when we too will hear his voice and rise to meet him. No matter what we may face between now and then, we too can carry within ourselves this same seed of hope. Knowing the final chapter of history lets us live our chapter with boldness and joy. It keeps everything in perspective. Someday we too will be climbing Jacob's ladder. Would you stand with me? Jesus said that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a pearl of great price. What did he do? He went and sold all that he had that he might possess that pearl. It comes down to that. If I understand that there is, this is what's waiting for me. This is my future. No matter how dark it is, no matter what's being done, no matter what's being said, I know this is real and I know it's there. I know that I have that future. Jesus says, is it worth it to you? Would you sell all that you have here? In other words, live for me. Give up your rights. Don't pursue your own ambitions. But would you live for me to have the pearl of great price? Honestly, people, there's times when it comes down to, do I believe? Do I believe? This has got to burn in our hearts. It's got to be clear in our hearts. Because the, you, you can sense it, can't you? The climate's changing. The climate's changing. Will we please the people around us? Will we please the, the powers that be? Or do we believe there's a pearl of great price to be had? Do we believe that we too will be raised up, meet him in the air, and come back and rule with him forever on a planet in righteousness and in peace? No more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. Do we believe that? If we do, then no matter what, what, they, what they offer, it never replaces that. If I don't believe that, then honestly, the only, I think the only honest way to live is not to try to keep a foot in both boats. The only honest way to live is eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you may die. Boy, I'm going for the pearl of great price. I'm, I believe I'm going to climb Jacob's ladder. I believe he's going to lift me up. And I will be resurrected. And I will be with him forever. And I choose to put everything and make every decision in light of that and to live in light of that. Would you bow your heads with me just one moment? I want to ask a question. This isn't just a general question. In fact, I'll ask the general question in just a minute. But anyone, as you listen to this, say, okay, I get it. It's clear to me. It is clear to me, but I have not really or am not satisfied that I've made that decision that says... Jesus Christ, just like you're Nathaniel. Imagine, here you come. Here's Jesus. And, and, and Jesus has revealed himself to you. Will you or will you not respond like Nathaniel? 
Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Will you make that testimony? Will you make that declaration? Anyone this morning needs to say, I do. This day I'm choosing, I'm saying, Jesus Christ, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Just raise your hand for a minute and I'll agree with you. I just want to give that opportunity. Yes. This is not a game. This is a moment of response. Yes, yes, yes. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, he says to you the same very thing that you've just heard him say to Nathaniel. This is how you do it. You make a choice with your will. You reach out and you choose. Yes, yes. Praise the Lord. Jesus, I believe. I got to warn you. I mean, Nathaniel was going to go through something. All those guys were. Who's no, who knows what you'll... But here's the promise. He would turn right around to you and say, the day will come when you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man and you're going to be one of those beautiful shining lights. Anyone else you need to raise your hand and make that confession that I didn't see? Praise you, Jesus. All right, church, let's pray. We're going to just confess the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, just like Nathaniel, we say to you, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the heavenly Son of Man. You, your promise of eternal life is the most real truth in our lives. We put our arms around your cross. We thank you with all our hearts for dying for our sins, washing us clean, and pouring your Holy Spirit into us. We receive your Holy Spirit. We open up and thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us forever. If you're praying that with me, just put your hand on your heart. Men, you might even put it on your belly. Just, um, Father, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, this is our promise that you would come and dwell by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Holy Spirit, rivers of living water, just fill this temple. Fill this beloved, this son of yours, this daughter of yours. Fill to overflowing with your presence and power. By your grace, we can live this life successfully. By your fullness, we can overcome and be victors, Lord. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. May the Lord fill you to overflowing, releasing in you the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. Every gift, every, every grace, may it be yours in Jesus Christ. Would you say this with me again? Jesus Christ, I trust you. I gladly bow my knee and surrender to you. I will follow you, serve you, and live for you all the days of my life. You are my pearl of great price. I pray these things and mean them with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. One more question. I said I'd ask a general one. How many today say, I can say with Nathaniel, Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God the King of Israel. You are my King. Who needs to just raise your hand and say, that's me. Lord, see our confession. We declare you. We worship you this morning. 
You are the king of Israel. You are our pearl. We will live, Lord, for you by your grace. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.